and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I'm your amiable co-host Tim, and joining me as always is Catherine. And we are back to discuss another cinematic failure, perhaps the, the biggest <laughs> cinematic failure. Cinematic failure. <laughs> Of the last decade or longer, um, mm. and that is the recently released on home video, Roland Emmerich written, produced, directed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, Moonfall. Wah. Wah. And uh, the title is a clue. The title is a hint into Just what a you're small in for. One. <laughs> um, and and may. the title itself may be enough to tell you whether or not this is a film that you will find palatable um but uh let's let's talk a bit about roland emmerich uh so moonfall again came out in 2021 uh it was a big story because it is the largest independently financed film in history which I, i'm sure there is some there's probably some ways that that could be disputed but in short roland emmerich couldn't get a studio to pay for this so he went to literally everyone else. I think there are a couple of dentists in, you know, Northeast Connecticut that might've, you know, thrown in some bucks. Like the, the opening credit roll of different, of the different production companies is one of the longest I've ever seen. And that includes all of those really bad Bruce Willis movies. And it's, it's, it, it was a disaster. Like an absolute yeah. disaster. It made zero dollars, maybe negative dollars <laughs> at uh, the box office. People wanted their I, money I, back. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so it budgeted right around $140 million, probably a little bit more. And made barely $56 million, uh, or $57 million back at the global box office. Not just the American box office, but globally. It made sixty million. Now, anybody who works in Hollywood will tell you that on a long enough timeline, every movie is successful. All movies make their money back eventually, because you know streaming rights and deals and. But this is going to have to see like a couple of different formats before it makes its money back. <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be a bit. Um, I can't imagine this film uh, making any of that back for quite some time, um, and, and it may very very quickly actually just fall off the map completely. Um, although most role in Emmerich movies kind of hang around. Um, so let's, let's talk a bit about Emmerich before we get into the film itself. Uh, Emmerich is the, the disaster man. I'm not going to call him. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we can't call him the originator of the genre. This no. has been a popular film genre in Hollywood for, I mean, since at least the 1940s, right? I mean, I guess some of the, the big ones would be like the Poseidon adventure and it's terrible sequels where, you know, you, you, Put a bunch of people in a location. A disaster happens. You watch them escape, right? It's it's Titanic, yeah, for all intents and purposes, right? Like that's you know, well, it's it's the last half hour of Titanic, right? The <laughs> the, the, the immigrant love story at the beginning, um, but Emmerich emerged in the late 1980s, early 90s, in the era of the sort of onrushing Michael Bay blockbuster, right? And, and sort of carved out a niche of disaster porn films, right? Um, now, he had some success prior to Independence Day, but I would say that Independence Day was really where he, like, took off. That's, that's where things exploded. Yeah. Because he had done Stargate 
in 94. Which, which I loved. I love Stargate. I think Stargate is great. I think the... I think that what he tried to do in Stargate, i.e. take weird-ass conspiracy theory, turn it into movie, is exactly what he's trying to do here. Yeah. Um, but much less successfully for a whole bunch of reasons. But it really, it was it was Independence Day. And I mean, he did also do the original Universal Soldier, which back in the early 90s, as Jean-Claude Van Damme's career was simultaneously ramping up and falling off like <laughs> as it always strange... seems to be doing <laughs> like, like that's the perpetual state of his career yeah it's just in a constant state of like oh he's getting hot and he's not oh oh he's getting hot and he's yeah. not again um he just never hit that wave and then was able to like successfully ride on top of it he was just i guess he was always shooting the curl right he was just always shooting the curl <laughs> in the wave and then waiting for it to crash down and then most of the time it did um, but he did do Universal Soldier, which was a very, you know, became a very big series, which that's one of the weird things about Emmerich's stuff is that a lot of his movies became the basis for highly successful lesser series, which is nuts, right? Like, obviously, Stargate went on to spawn an entire like 10, well, really, including all the spinoffs, like a, like 20 seasons of television. Now, he had nothing to do with that other than to slap his name on it and give them permission to use it. But still, like he's good at sort of creating worlds and doing interesting things with them enough that people at least get involved and, you know, and then independence day hits and everybody who was alive during the mid nineties remembers that first trailer for independence day, you know, shot of the curvature of the earth, you know, big alien ship moving into frame, smaller alien ship falling out independence, you know, like it was great. It was great. It was really good. I saw it. Um, I saw that trailer. It would have been in front of the first Mission Impossible. I went to see that in the theater, and the Independence Day trailer was in front of it. And that was badass. I was like, whoa, that's going to be pretty cool. Um, but, you know, Independence Day, of course, helped to solidify and continue to the, the sort of upward rise of Will Smith's career. Um, it was the movie that was basically marketed on seeing the destruction of a variety of landmarks, right? Here's the White House exploding. Here's Mount Rushmore exploding. And I can um, remember everyone was so shocked by by that, I mean, that happening in the movie. Wasn't that kind of controversial? Mm -hmm. Oh, it was, that totally. People were like, like, we, should were not, like we should not make this into a thing. Like, no one should see you know, that landmark blow up like that. But right. Especially the white house. Yeah. yeah that was like the big one where people were like, is this too far? Yeah. Like is, is maybe this, this is too much. Um, and of course this was before nine 11. So we didn't actually see it happen in it front of our faces. Um, mm -hmm. which I think maybe in a post nine 11, I can't believe I'm using that phrase unironically. Um, <laughs> maybe in a post nine 11 world, that's not, that would have been a harder sell, but man, in 95, that slapped. That was just, it was scary and it was cool. Yeah. And it, and it ticked a lot of the mid nineties, you know, popular movie boxes, right? Yeah. It did have lots of destruction, big action. It was fairly epic in scope. Um, but what I think people failed to realize and what I think people are now realizing very clearly is that while Roland Emmerich may be very, very good at 
explosions and destruction and and whatnot. He's he's not good at anything people. else. <laughs> um like actual human problems and interactions. Those are rougher for him. And if you go back and look at something like Independence Day, you may have forgotten that one of the main <laughs> characters is a coked out Randy Quaid slash crop duster pilot with and three lame kids out, that travel around in an RV. And he turned out to actually be crazy. Yes, what we didn't realize is that Randy Quaid <laughs> was, in that film was showing us who he was. He was just playing himself. And and we just weren't paying attention. <laughs> all but like, but all of these all of these movies really sort of established the if we have a big enough spectacle, we don't really need to worry about these other things, right? And and we've talked a lot on this podcast in general about movies that find that good balance, right? Balance of action, balance of character, balance of you know plot and setting. Like you've, you've got to sort of find that magic mixture that for the most part hangs together. And so Roland Emmerich's movies, I think, surprisingly, they should be perfect for today's audiences because there'll be a moment where you need to look at the screen and see a big explosion happen or a ship, you know, explode and fly through the air. And then you're going to have about 10 minutes where you can just sort of lazily look down at your phone (laughs) and you can check Twitter (laughs) or, you know, you know, because that's when the people will be talking and, and, and trust me, standing. you don't care about anything those people have to say. <laughs> Not a damn and thing. And nothing they and, have to say matters at all. And the last time I watched Independent Day, Independence Day, that was basically my experience. Like, oh, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. Um, like Will Smith's stripper girlfriend in, in Independence Day, like no her entire storyline. And then she ends up like driving a truck across the desert with the president's half dead wife in it. I'm like. <laughs> What is even happening here? Who cares about Stupid. this? It's just, it was very lame. Um, and and so you would think like that style of filmmaking would be very appealing to, you know, the, the tweens because they would just be like, oh, look at that thing. Oh, that was a neat explosion. Oh, the moon's falling. And then just be like, okay, let's go back and check Insta. Okay. Um, but apparently it failed to even engage with that very minimal level of viewership. Well, and, and I think um, just movie viewers maybe changed. I don't know. It, it really does. It feels like we don't have an appetite for this anymore. Um, maybe the world sucks it, so bad that we just can't find it in ourselves to enjoy this kind of disaster porn anymore. It, I, it's entirely possible. Like I really do feel, you know, just like superhero movies and everything else sort of come in these waves and we're certainly in the middle of a superhero wave, although I feel like that wave is cresting or crested. And now we're going to go back to like getting, we'll still be getting a lot of them, but they're not going to have like the cultural impact that they've had for the last decade. I think we're on the the downward spiral of those films. Um, maybe. Like, it's hard to say. Like Doctor Strange uh, came out this weekend and, and you know, I went to see it with my family and it was, it was very good. I enjoyed it. But I don't I don't know if I feel the craze around it. Now Spider-Man happened, but that's Spider-Man. Spider-Man's a whole other thing. Like there are people who like Spider-Man is everything to them. Like it's and so like I I don't think Spider-Man applies. But I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how this phase, quote unquote, of the MCU does. But Roland Emmerich too is a, a man who 
thrived within a certain genre of film that for a while America seemed unable to get enough of. Right. And it was the same trend that, you know, Michael Bay rode to success. Emmerich on, you know, is there too. And then we've got, you know, what historical scenario can we, you know, make where we'll get to see a bunch of things explode, you know, <laughs> and it, it, you know, like, you know, that's where you get Mike, you know, Michael Bay doing Pearl Harbor and, you Ooh. know, you've got all these people doing these like big bombastic action movies. And, um, I, I don't know. It's just this really strange time in cinema that feels like it has truly passed. Um, and, and the problem is, is that you can't really make, it seems like when a, when a genre falls out of favor, it falls out of the big studio blockbuster system and now down into, you know, the independent world, right? Where you'll still have people making that genre, but they're going to do so very cheaply, right? And they'll just kind of, you know, that you get your, your asylum pictures, right? Atlantic Rim, that kind of thing. But this is a, a, a style of filmmaking that without a ton of money, you can't actually do it. Yeah. Right. Like you can't pull this stuff off. So you, it's one of those things where the genre to, to even execute at any level that would be acceptable, you've got to invest incredible amounts of money in it. But at the same time, you're obviously not going to see that return, right? Like you're not going to make that money back. So how do you find a balance? And Emmerich does not seem to be able to have, to scale it back, even though his last three films, um, which were all trying to do this at various levels, have just been massive, unrequited disasters. Um, I think Midway, um, which had the benefit of also being a you know a war movie, which has its its audience built in, um, I think it might have made like twenty million over its budget worldwide which is not a success by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, it, it might've been enough for the studio to be like, well, you know, we, well, we're not, we're not going to put you in jail. Roy, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's just, it's a really strange genre. And it's one that again, in the nineties we had independence day. I mean, then he followed up with what Godzilla after that, which of course is like the originator of a lot of these kind of things, but done on a crazy low budget. Um, and then he had the Patriot, which I'd say the Patriot might have been one of his largest successes post Independence Day. Um, at least it feels like it. That movie, I, I remember making a lot of money and people being very, very big fans. People uh, loved that film. Mel Gibson at that point. We we had not started our decline in our, our national feelings about Mel Gibson. He, he was a couple years away from getting pulled drunk out of a car and then telling everybody how the Jews were ruling, ruining the world. So yeah, we were, we were still in an okay Mel yeah. Gibson space at that point. Um, well, uh, no, really the day after tomorrow, that's probably which, the last big, which one. I will, I will champion for, I know it's not a good movie. I would never call it a good movie, but I enjoyed that movie. Yeah. It's yeah. I, me I remember liking that. It was early Gyllenhaal, you know, he was, I mean, he doesn't have much to do in it, of course, but yeah, but it was fun yeah, it was to okay. watch. I mean, it, the destruction was really enjoyable, even though now it's part of a very sad reality. But I feel like this, I feel like Moonfall <laughs> yeah. was maybe trying to recapture some of the day after tomorrow specifically. Mm -hmm. 
at least in, in 2012. Terms, yeah. We can't forget about oh, 2012. No, yeah. I've been trying um, to forget about it, but because was 2012 um, the one with John Cusack? Yes. Yeah. Where he was like the family chauffeur yeah. or something. It was another sad dad movie because that's his thing is sad dads. It's all about the sad dads. Yep. Dads who can't connect with their children. And he's still still going with that. The dads are sad. Someone help these dads. Please. Patrick Wilson is a gorgeous human being and he's sad about things. Make him feel better. Yeah. Give him the ability to Which, feel better, like, please. How did Patrick Wilson get talked into doing this? How did uh, anyone did mid- who was in this movie get <laughs> talked into this? He did midway with him. And and apparently they, they got along well enough, I suppose. And so um, I, I think part of the struggle of this film, though, was finding people to be involved. Because uh, apart from the main, main cast, there's literally nobody in this movie that you would recognize. But he must, like, Roland Emmerich must be fun to work with. Otherwise, I don't think anyone would be in any of his movies. I mean... You know, the Red Letter Media guys did their their take on this. And, you know, as as expected, they loved it because. It's 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 like pinnacle schlock. Like yeah. this film is absolute schlock. And the issue is, is it feels like a lot of people in the movie like Patrick Wilson understand that that's what this yeah. is. Like, I know why I'm here. But, right. I, I understand this. I'm my paycheck is going to cash just the same. And then I'm going to continue on. I'm going to make conjuring Four. it's going to make bajillions of dollars. And then I will just continue on and my life will be great. And I'll continue to be an incredibly attractive human. Being. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know if Roland Emmerich really gets it. like, I think he understands that his movies are crazy. Like he must understand that this is crazy. Crazy. Do you know but what you are, still, Roland Emmerich? <laughs> yeah, but I think he still takes it pretty seriously. I think he still thinks of himself as like a stupid Spielberg ain't got nothing on me. Like I, I could just see him sitting in like a little tent at, at, a, <laughs> a, at a filming tent. location. A tent? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not a trailer. Little, he's got a tent. No, he's got a tent. He's got his little monitor in there, and he's watching. You know, That's the difference between amazing. me and Michael Bay. Michael Bay needs a trailer. All I need is a tent. I'm, I'm in the trenches with my films. That's right. I'm a real filmmaker. Um, but yeah, so I mean, but the cool thing is, is that I kind of feel like somebody needs to be out there trying to do these. But I think the standards for a film like this have have gone way up. Yes. And you have to execute on a level because we see massive destruction on incredible scale a lot in now. every Marvel movie. I mean, that's the last right, like, 45 minutes of any comic book film is just mass amounts of, of buildings exploding. Right. And and it's like, so what can you show me? And I think that he may, may have latched onto this project because there was the potential to see some things that you wouldn't typically get to see, you know, weird gravity fluctuations and stuff like that. But it. But in this, either because of restrictions placed on him by this weird budget that he was able to cobble together, or just because we have no visual precedent for any of the things that are described as happening in this film, that I don't think the visuals are really all that interesting. No. They're flat. They're kind of boring. Um, Even the sort of massive destruction that we're supposed to see as the moon 
falls. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it's in the title. Um, it just, it never really has much of an effect. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm not calling, I'm not going to call for Roland's, Roland Emmerich's head on a platter, like, you know, excise him from and the this industry. This movie's not hurting anyone by existing. No. But it's no. real and, bad. And honestly, <laughs> on, and honestly, I think there probably is a category of movie goer out there. You know, the guy demoing his new Dolby Atmos home theater system to his friends or something. <laughs> Who's going to find some value in this? But uh, beyond that, and, and definitely beyond a single watch, right? Like, I can still go back and watch Independence Day. Like I said, it's a much different proposition now to enjoy it. But I can still go back and watch that movie and have some fun with it. Whereas I don't have a desire to ever see this again. Like there is nothing about this movie that I'm like, oh, I, I definitely want to go back and revisit this moment or whatever. So, I mean, if you're a one and done kind of person, you're going to rent it on Amazon Prime for $2.99 and, and never think of it again. Then sure, it's there are there are probably worse ways to spend two hours and 30 minutes of your life or whatever it is. Um but there's not much, but there are much better ways to spend. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's not worse ways, but there are definitely better ways. There are just so um, many you things know, you could watch. So much you could do with your time. Rewatch the first half of Lawrence of Arabia. Just, yeah. Or, or maybe, you know, try out Spartacus in 4K. Maybe give that a shot. <laughs> um, because that's a movie with epic and grand scope and scale that actually has like emotion and characters and feelings mm -hmm. and stuff and and michael douglas's chin uh, yeah or kirk douglas's chin jesus man um i watched i watched spartacus in 4k a couple weeks ago and i don't think i ever fully understood just how deep that man's yeah, chin you could store was. things in it <laughs> i mean it's it's like a small basement yeah he could just i mean i does he keep a, a, a car in there for his travels? I, it was it was crazy, um, I, just remarkable. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, I I cannot in good conscience recommend Moonfall. No, unless unless you know exactly what you're getting into, which is it is ridiculous. The script is terrible. The characters are. I hesitate to call them paper. They're, thin. they're not even one dimensional. Um, they are no dimension. I mean, yeah, they have <laughs> zero dimensions. I mean, one of them, his only character trait is that he's a car dealer. Yeah. They're like, the, they're like cars. the Pringles Lexuses. of character building. Yes. It's, it's a remark. I mean, and maybe it's remarkable for that reason that the script is as terrible as it is. And the money was spent to execute on it. Uh, without anyone saying like, could we improve this? Could we do a second draft? Well, and that does anyone have a few minutes to rewrite this scene? That's something that occurred to me while watching it. Was like, did anyone at any point stop and say, "Hey, this is bad"? <laughs> like, it seems like someone should have, you know. <laughs> like, where was your adult to just step in and say, "I don't think, I don't think this is going the way that you think it is, or the way that you hope it is." How 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 are you hoping for this to go? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, what are your goals here, Roland Emmerich? What are you What are you trying to accomplish? And so, yeah, it's it's a really um, problematic film. I mean, it's it does have some of those like 
crazy visuals, right? You're not, I mean, and I guess there are a couple of, you know, famous locations that get kind of trashed, but um, it's nothing compared to, to what we'd seen before. But, but this is the point where it's like, you know, <laughs> fool me once, blame on me, fool me twice, blame on me again. Right? <laughs> it's like, it's one of those situations where it's like, we know what this is. This is what he's been doing for nigh on 30 years at this point. So if you if you go in knowing that and you're cool with it, you'll you'll probably be okay with what this is. But if you're just sort of a casual film watcher or like you have a base level of expectation of quality when you go to see a film, i.e. you're not somebody that would cruise by a red box outside of Walgreens on a Friday night and be like, let's see what we can get up to, right? Like if you're not that kind of person, I don't think Moonfall is for you at all. <laughs> um I, I, so I, I don't know where you fall on that, but I imagine we're we're probably pretty close. Yeah. Um, which I did make you watch this. This was was totally one of those like, have you seen? This? I kind of wanted to watch um, it. Like I always feel this weird pull to watch Roland Emmerich movies, just because mm -hmm. I don't hate them. But no, and I don't hate this either. Like it's bad, but I don't hate yeah, it. Yeah, like it's not I mean, it is one of the worst movies I've seen that's like a commercially made serious this is a movie. But I still I still kind of defend what he does because I don't know. He made Independence Day, and I have really good memories of that movie, and I wonder if that's right. that's letting him get away with a lot, I think. Yes. I mean, and, and, you know, Hollywood, is, Hollywood has a, a pretty short memory for most things, but the thing they're most likely to remember is money that you made them. And somebody in Hollywood, even though he had to basically finance this independently, there are still people who remember how much money he made for them. And that's still going to get him meetings, right? He's still yeah. going to be able to pitch things. But this, the problem with this is that it's, it's not a good pitch. Like this isn't even an interesting story. So let's, we'll break down this, just the basic of the story. Um, you know, we've already kind of given our recommendation, but um, you know, go watch a trailer. It, it, this, this is not a complicated film to explain, but the, the basic synopsis is this. Um, the moon is falling. <laughs> that's um, it. That's the movie. <laughs> that's, that's it. Uh, there is more to it than that, but it is, the disaster scenario here, just like the super freeze in Day After Tomorrow or the tsunamis in 2012 because of a calendar, um, the in this one, the moon has fallen out of its orbit. It is coming towards the Earth, but not in a consistent way. It kind of comes and it kind of goes. And <laughs> the moon is very inconsistent in this. Right. And, and the way if, you know, I don't know anything about orb orbital mechanics. I'm just a simple internet man. But typically when your orbit decays, it doesn't ever get better again. But in the case of the moon, it can. <laughs> so it's, it's fine. Um, but it's so like the moon is coming towards the earth and that causes gravitational weirdness. Now, in most scenarios that I've ever read and in books written by people who are much, much smarter than Roland Emmerich, um, if the moon starts to move towards our planet, like we're dead. <laughs> like, yeah. Like there's no like, oh, this will be fine. It's like, well, no, either it'll crash into our planet and cause an extinction level event 
unlike anything we've ever seen, or it will shred itself in the sky and then populate our atmosphere with tiny burning chunks of itself that will scorch us all alive. Um, but also it might, according to Roland Emmerich, create a scenario where a character says the moon is helping us. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but yeah, the moon is falling. Um, we are, our main characters are, are basically astronauts who were up in space during a strange event 10 years ago. Um, and now one of them has been cast out of astronaut society because of his failure, even though I've never really heard of that happening before. No. Um, I don't generally, they don't press criminal charges when there are space accidents, but you know, in time, I guess it could happen. Um, but now they're, uh, with a strange conspiracy theory is played by a guy that you might remember from game of Thrones. Um, they, they now have to solve the mystery for why the moon is no longer in its appropriate orbit and, and why it is indeed falling. And Halle Berry is also there. I'm not sure why, but she is present. Again, another one, like how, why is she in this movie? What happened? I, I assume she was available. Did you owe someone <laughs> big time? Like you owe a Roland Emmerich and it's like he calls at two o'clock in the morning and he's like, look... You remember when you said you would do me a favor? Yes. Well, that time has come. Yeah, that time has come. <laughs> She's like, well, the tax man's calling, so <laughs> sure, why not? I mean, so that's that's basically it. And then, you know, two hours of people running away from the moon. Some of them are going towards the moon. The moon Other is people... very bad. <laughs> yes, the moon is, is rough. <laughs> we thought it was our friend. We thought there was a man in the moon. But what we found out There's instead... Not something else um i mean and you know it, it's it's silly it's fluffy but it's not fluffy in a pleasant way it's fluffy in a like what and that's well that kind of that was the biggest problem that i had is there is a certain joy in watching a roland emmerich movie especially like independence day it's not that it's a good movie it's that it's a joyful movie. It's that it is having fun doing what it does. And through that, the audience has fun watching the movie do what it's doing. Right. This one was joyless. This was just not a fun movie. And that right. made it, it, it miserable. Lacks that. <laughs> yeah, it's it lacks that sort of ebullience that some of and it's strange to say that a disaster movie can be ebullient I understand. <laughs> just an excuse but to say it, ebullient really <laughs> yeah we love good word right <laughs> ebullient bouillon beef bouillon you know it's just there it's good combinations of letters from other languages that we stole and i it's just one of those things that those movies have a sort of a sort of unapologetic joy to them. And, and it feels like at least some of pre, you know, Roland Emmerich's previous films understood the ridiculousness of their premises. If he, if he didn't, if he was being serious the whole time, then wow. Uh, God help wow. us. <laughs> um, but you know, like it's, it's just one of those things that you, you could get into it and say like, Oh, this is, this is, this is fun, right? It's yeah. fun. Even though we're seeing these terrible things, it's fun to see these characters overcome. 
and it's fun to see these people do amazing things well, and have good time. I mean, there's a certain assurance with with these these types of disaster movies, especially Roland Emmerich, where everything will be okay. He doesn't have a lot of films yeah. where things oh, don't yeah. work out in the end or or work out in, in someone's favor or show you a lot of really twisted, terrible things and then say, but look, there's a turn here. It's not like Titanic where, you know, we knew how that was going to end. <laughs> we, we were watched the whole wait, movie wait, knowing exactly how that was going to go. So, you know, with Roland Emmerich, there's always people that... went into that movie knowing how it was going to end. Well, yeah. I mean, if you was... consult Twitter, a lot of people didn't know. No, that was going to end, sadly. People is not smart. <laughs> oh, um, no. <laughs> um, but I don't know. This just didn't have that same turn. No, even like the big, you know, I mean, it, the way that these movies are structured, you've got like really the last 20 minutes where everything's sort of coming together. The, the heroes are winning you know, we're changing our outcomes. We're, we're reversing course. You know, it's that standard sort of action movie, you know, third act swing after, after the low point of the, the end of the second act. Like that's, that's kind of how these movies always work. And even when those beats start to hit in this movie, there is no payoff. No, there's nothing about them that feels big or fun or, you know, there's no like, I mean, you know, you think about the end of something like Independence Day, and I'm sorry to keep referencing it, but he did make that you know, movie. It, I mean, I it he is did make that movie. It's relevant he in this case, you know. But like, I and it's not like I love the "Hey boys, I'm back." No, that was dumb. You know, like that, that was scene. the dumbest thing dumb I've ever scene. seen in a movie. But but you gotta it got a giggle out of a lot of people. I probably smirked, you know, like yeah, okay. But that's the kind of like jokey, weird thing that you need to sort of start repairing the damage it's, done to the psyches of the audience. It's the reveling like in this. cringe. Sure. It's it's that schlock component. Yeah. And that's, I love that. I love that that movie can create those moments and, and somehow be cringe and great at the same time. But this one never got the great part. It gets the cringe part. Oh boy, does it ever? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I mean that's that's the basic premise of this film. Not a recommendation. This is not a failure piece. It's not a, a it's not a a you know a great movie that just nobody went to engage with. It's bad. It's bad at every level, um, save for maybe a couple of things. But um, so we're going to get into some spoilers. I, I don't feel like we can really talk about the entirety of this film because literally every scene is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there, dumb there and some, bad. There is something in every scene that you can point and laugh at Nelson Muntz style, you know, just, ha, ha. <laughs> like, so I don't necessarily want to break it down, but I do want to talk about some of the key things that I, that, you know, I feel and, and, and we've discussed that they just sort of don't make this work. Um, as well as some of the core conceits that it's built upon that are just as stupid as basing Stargate on the, the pyramids were landing platforms for <laughs> spaceships, <laughs> which there was a, 
actual documentary on the DVD of that movie <laughs> about how that conspiracy theory was real. So if you don't think Roland Emmerich cares about that stuff, I I would have to disagree I'm, with you. I used but to this wonder. It's based on a similar. Kind I used of thing. to wonder if that documentary was just on the DVD so that nobody would ever ask him where do you get your ideas. <laughs> it's like i get them from crazy people (laughs) maybe that's how like stephen king should just preface every book i got the idea for this from a crazy person i was up late watching qvc and there was this guy out there selling collateral silver tablets (laughs) something i was just like wow what would happen if you stuck those up your butt um (laughs) anyway coming soon uh, the next stephen king book (laughs) (laughs) collateral silver tablets up your butt (laughs) <laughs> oh shit. Uh, yeah anyway okay so so we're gonna get to some spoilers uh again if if you if you do have two hours and 10 or 15 minutes to spare and you enjoy the process of watching and dismantling a truly inept film then moonfall is probably for you if, yeah. if you love mystery science theater and you love what can happen when big budget filmmaking goes bad and you kind of hate yourself a little bit i think that that's an important component yeah you there's definitely a self-loathing component to watching any roland emmerich film (laughs) definitely one like this uh then then you're probably gonna have at least a modicum of a good time with this like there will be moments where you're just like come on uh, but it's it's not going to be an enjoyable watch um, and and you're not going to want to recommend it to friends and family because they'll be angry at you. But uh, in any case, uh, we're going to talk about some spoilers. So uh, if you haven't seen it, and you want to go find it. It should be widely available now. It's out on physical media. It should be out on most of the uh, streaming rental platforms. I don't think it's streaming on any services yet, but probably will be soon. They've got a lot of money to make up. Yeah. Like a lot of money. I mean, this so is probably going to be on Tubi pretty soon. <laughs> it's it's probably going to be on as many services as will take it. Netflix? Sure. HBO Max? Sure. Hulu? Definitely. Tubi? Yeah. Pluto TV? <laughs> 100%. Um, <laughs> Peacock? Definitely. Uh, but uh, we shall certainly see. So, um, all right. So the, the spoiler section of Moonfall... Um, I, I knew what I was in for with this, yeah. right? Like there's, there's nothing here that I was like, oh, I, I downloaded uh, this in 4k so that I could watch it in its maximum glory. Like I knew, oh man, this is going to be great. Um, and immediately I was like confronted with like a, a poor gravity knockoff. Um, like to the point that Roland Emmerich just just completely ripped off gravity for the opening of this film. Um, we're told it's a satellite mission, like a satellite repair mission, um, which is like, okay, whatever. And then it's a bunch of, you know, it's Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry and the random guy that you know is going to be killed <laughs> from the moment that you see him just bobbing around on some kind of, you know, they're probably on wires and they're just kind of like floating and then they get attacked by nano machines, <laughs> obviously nano machines, right? And I was like, "Oh no, I thought this was about the moon falling. Oh no, what is this?" And 
I I was I was honestly a bit taken aback. I was yeah. like I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting this to open the film. <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> this. Um I thought, you know, they would you know, like this there are like scenarios it, out there where people are like, "Oh, maybe the moon gets hit by something it doesn't and it even, knocks it out of its orbit." It doesn't even try but, to create much of a compelling mystery in the beginning. No, no. Um you know, because we've, we've gotten space horror mysteries before, like Apollo 18, that weird found footage space I enjoyed movie, that. which was not, yeah, it was a good film. I mean, it was all right. But but yeah, like it, we get full visibility of what this thing is, exactly what it's doing. And then before we cut to credits, we see where it goes, yeah. which is to the moon. <laughs> so there is literally no question about what is coming and what's happening. Now, again, there's some later reveals about the nature of the moon but and then just you know i it's a bad thing to watch a movie and then just have your brain constantly be like wait what huh is this why what Um, i i mean okay I mean, because, you know, I mean, all movies are are essentially about suspension of disbelief. And in most films that deal with modern society, modern life, you know, happening now or in the very near future, those are very easy to suspend disbelief because you should be seeing a version of the world that your brain is already you know, well accustomed to. But so I'm, I'm sitting here watching the aftermath of this event in 2011, <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's it's all news chirons and and footage that's supposed to be news footage that's obviously not news footage, and and it's like fallen hero accused of of space crimes or something, and I'm like, <laughs> space crimes. No, it's like what he did commit like, a space crime. He committed a space crime. Um, because they get attacked by the nano machines. The guy, one of the guys, gets killed. He gets knocked off the rig and and obviously dies, and then. He goes, you know, Patrick Wilson's character, who is our, I guess, our main character, although Roland Emmerich films always struggle to have identifiable main characters. It's clusters of characters, all kinds of doing stuff. Because ultimately none of them matter. No, and none of them are strong enough characters to exist on their own. Right? Like, that's also the problem, is that none of these characters, if you look at them individually, have enough juice in the tank to get them where they need to go. Um, and, and again, in a, in a disaster movie, your budget, your time, your energy is going towards the disasters, not towards the character interactions, right? Those are going to be backgrounded, but Roland Emmerich seems especially inept at developing character within that, that framework, right? Even somebody like Michael Bay, as much as we can trash Michael Bay, even he is a little bit better at that, right? Like of, of having a character that you might... I don't know. Remember the name of because <laughs> I'm I'm sitting here thinking about this movie right now and I'm going to have to use the actor names because I cannot remember the names of any of the characters in this film. I none. I can't them. either. I'm not sure I ever and, knew and, what they were. No, I mean, like apart from, you know, being told once or twice in the film, we probably are never you know told again. But so Patrick Wilson's character, he survives. He goes inside Halle Berry's character, the She's like the navigator. She was knocked out, so she didn't see anything. And then, you know, the nanobots that attacked them disappear. So they, I understand that NASA doesn't have a justification for what went wrong. 
So they're going to be looking for like what happened, you know, what was the, you know, what caused the accident. And then he's got this story about like, well, this, you know, event, this phenomenon happened and it knocked us out and it did this thing. And, and, but then seemingly the, the recourse for that was, well, you can't be an astronaut anymore. You, you messed up. Uh, and it's like, we don't have that an many accident. astronauts. Like, yeah. they can't really afford to just ban the astronauts from astronaut school, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. that just seems really extreme. Like, you trained this person for how many years? And it's like, no, and it was, for your beliefs, we cannot allow you to be an astronaut. <laughs> and it was obviously uh, an accident, Yeah. right? And now there, there is indication later that they knew fully what it was, because, I mean, there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. Um, that they knew fully what it was and they needed to like shut him up so no one would know. I mean, like, but then again, not, this movie has it has a very hard time justifying anything. But <laughs> but so basically he gets disgraced. And then <laughs> when he gets disgraced, his whole life falls apart. His wife leaves him. <laughs> his son leaves him. I'm like, OK, like astronauts could go do other things he's not in jail right like he's still like a highly trained but engineer he's a sad slash dad. pilot that's all he is but now. no he must be the roland emmerich sad dad version <laughs> 4.0 <laughs> tm um and so like his whole life falls apart and then when we you know we inevitably flash forward he's living by himself i mean like it's it's like they ticked a box of how can we demonstrate that he's a sad dad. He lives in an apartment alone. He sleeps in his clothes. He drinks beer in the morning. He is about to lose his place. Like there's there's straight up a scene where like just a random dude in a hat is knocking on the window being like, where's your rent? <laughs> <laughs> pay, pay rent now, please. And it's like, what is, I mean, this is all happening in like four minutes that all of this stuff is being laid out. Um, and it's, I was like, I saw that scene in Ace Ventura and it was a joke in Ace Ventura. Why am I seeing it here in this like seemingly serious Roland Emmerich movie? He's a sad um, dad. And so he's late to, even though he's a disgraced astronaut <laughs> who, who has been forgotten by society, he's expected to be at the Griffith Observatory. To give it to her Presumably so kids. the school kids can throw tomatoes at him. Because like I kind of expected that's what would happen next. Like they would just have rotten fruit that they would be pelting him with. Disgrace. I mean, like, what in what universe would the disgraced astronaut be the guy you invite to the observatory to give kids a tour? Like, what are you what is okay? It doesn't matter. But like that's the quality of the script that we're getting here. It's it's not thought out. And Aside from the fact that they didn't shoot at any of these locations, <laughs> not a one, they're all green screen. The set that they built to represent the Griffith Observatory is laughable. I mean, it didn't even look like they used marble or anything approximating marble. It looked like we painted some plywood to sort of make it vaguely look a little bit like the inside of the Griffith Observatory. Um, just, just. Again, for, for modern film audiences who are now accustomed to incredible standards in terms of set building and, and visual effects, there are obvious bad visual and special effects in this film all the time. Just from bad green screen compositing, stuff looking too flat. I mean, just it's 
we just we know too much about this stuff now, right? Like we just have too much of an understanding of how these things get done in film for a movie like this to get away or attempt to get away with some of the things it does. Like the shot when he leaves that shitty apartment that the guy's like banging so on his bad. So bad. It's, it's supposed to be like on this cliffside overlooking Los Angeles. And it is so obviously a dude on a motorcycle in front of a green screen inside of a studio. It's lit wrong. It looks composited badly. It looked like nineties blue screen compositing. That's what it reminded it me of. Rough. Yeah, like like pre prequels blue screen. Yeah. Where it was like, oh, you guys didn't plan this at all. And I mean, and that's a problem, right? When you're shooting a green screen or blue screen element, you don't always know what the background of that element is going to be if you don't have a plan, right? Like, and I don't think they knew what the background was going to be. Because you need to be able to set it up to try and shoot it and have a lighting situation that is close to matching where that person is going to wind up being. So you know it's outdoors. Okay, so we're going to need a strong key light. It's supposed to be the morning, so the sun would be approximately here. Like, I mean, these are the problems that cinematographers solve for you if you have a good cinematographer, right? Like, okay, this is going to be at 9 o'clock in the morning in Los Angeles. Notice what the What direction word. is the sun going to be coming from? <laughs> if. Yeah, and, and it just it, it was not set up well. And the vast majority of those are not set up well. And it's 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 unfortunate that a film like this doesn't get the little things like that right. Because, you know, you can watch, um, you know, like a show like Ted Lasso, okay? Ted Lasso's like, it's a comedy show on Apple Plus. Like, I mean, it's budgeted well, don't get me wrong. But most people watched the first season of that and had no idea that every single soccer game was 100% CG backgrounds. 100%. Because... They shot it, knowing exactly what the lighting situation would be. They built those elements. They matched them. They, I mean, they went through the work to have those pieces in place so that when they put it all together, it would be as seamless as possible. That didn't happen here. Like, not at all. And, and it's, it's sad, right? Because it represents, you know, a guy who quite literally, I mean, Emmerich was on the forefront of these types of technologies coming into existence. I mean, his films were pushing the boundaries of what was being done, not necessarily to the level of something like Jurassic Park or anything like that. But I mean, he's, you know, Independence Day I, still I feel like he deserves better really than important this. Steps, for sure. Like for this to be what a guy like Roland Emmerich is making now, it's kind of sad. Like it just doesn't feel good. Cause it's like, man, like you, you set up some shots that are at this point, like iconic, right? Like unbelievably iconic. And, and now you're kind of making this stuff and that's, that, that feels bad. But so he goes to the observatory and we're introduced to our other sort of major character. I don't even remember his name. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. the Game of Thrones guys. It's Sam from Game of Thrones. What, that's why you're watching it. So it just doesn't matter what it's really. <laughs> and, and he is our conspiracy theorist and every Roland Emmerich movie Needs the conspiracy theorist. The um, in Stargate, it was Daniel Jackson, played by James Spader. Uh, but he turned winds up he, being proved. He was a good one because he was like a smart guy conspiracy theorist. So I feel like he and defied because he's James Spader. and because he's James Spader. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he kind of no, defied like, yeah. the the Emmerich crackpot a little bit because he he was right too, but in a different way. 
He was smart. But in a better in way. In a better way. He was more right than the <laughs> others. You know, I, I forget, was it, it was Dennis Quaid in Day After Tomorrow, wasn't it? Wasn't he the guy that was like the super freezer? Yeah, was he was the Hall dad. The no, he was he was the the he sad the dad, dad yeah. who was the crackpot. <laughs> Quaid was the sad dad. Oh one. my god! Um, <laughs> so he's worked with both of the um, Quaids, and both of them were crackpots. Exactly. And then uh, Independence Day, I guess. I guess that gets hung on Jeff Goldblum. But the thing with Jeff Goldblum is we get to see him make the discovery. Yeah. So he it's more believable because we actually went on the journey where he figured out what was going on. Quaid in Independence Day was the one who was right all along. Like it was the aliens. I told you it was the aliens. <laughs> Why didn't yeah, you believe yeah, me? That's that's true. That's true. He is a bit of the conspiracy theory. But I mean, you've always got to have that fringe person who knows the truth, but nobody's willing to listen to. So in this one, it's it's Sam from Game of Thrones. And and so and I hate he him. believes uh yeah oh he sucks i mean every i i will be so happy when game of thrones disappears from our public consciousness it's not going to take long at this point i know hbo has some new like prequel series coming out but i don't think anybody's gonna give a shit um but i i look back now on game of thrones and not because of the ending like i stopped watching game of thrones early like i think i've mentioned that before like fifth season halfway through i think i was just like this is no longer all that interesting. It probably really wasn't interesting. Like the third season. It wasn't. Whatever. And. But I I don't. I don't want to see any of those actors. From that show in anything. Ever again. Um, none of them were good. And and most of them aren't good. Sean Bean knew what was up. He got out early. He's like. Well, cut my he head had, off had, the first he's season. contractually obligated to die. In everything that he's in. Which mm. worked out really well for him. Um, I'm, I mean, I don't know anything about Game of Thrones. I've never watched, I've watched like two episodes of the show, so I can't really speak mm -hmm. to that, but that's fine. <laughs> I, I would have rather seen crazy Randy Quaid in this movie. I don't know. Like I just sure. found this oh, character yeah. really off putting, you know, cause I guess like, cause he's, he is the crackpot just like Randy Quaid is the crackpot. And the Jeff Goldblum character is uh, Patrick Wilson, the believer that yeah. he's the convinced person who makes the discovery, the hot guy, if you will, because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's also usually always a hot guy. Yeah. Like it's Jeff Goldblum it's or it's it's Dennis Quaid or it's Patrick Wilson, you know, just mm -hmm. really impossibly good looking people. But I hated this crackpot. And I don't know who that guy is from Game of Thrones, but I hate him in this movie. <laughs> like, I don't know who you are, bro, but I hate you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we get our standard crackpot introduction. He lives alone in a house with cats. He, doesn't he complain about the cat not shitting in the kitty litter? It doesn't It thing? doesn't go pee-pee on the newspaper. It No go pee-pee on newspaper. And then he yep, picks up the pee-pee paper and reads it, and that's how he knows that's happened. right. That's right. That's how he discovers the truth. <laughs> this this movie infected um, my brain. <laughs> and so he's a conspiracy theorist who believes. And there's a, a scene later when they meet at the banquet room of some hotel in downtown Los Angeles of all the other like weirdos who believe this with him that the moon is a megastructure. And this is a real thing. 
There are episodes of Star Trek about it. Uh, Mike Staclasa referenced one in their review. I immediately thought the same thing. I was like, wait, is this that episode of Star Trek? Um, but so megastructures are basically structures built around uh, dying stars or, or stars in general, just built around a star. And then they absorb the energy of the star to power, you know, whatever, you know. No, I don't. And so it's it's an old sci it's an old sci-fi thing. Like this has been a concept that's been around for a super long time. I can't remember the sci-fi author that first sort of proposed it, but like Larry Niven's Ring World and all that stuff. Like it's the same basic concept. So this is a really old sci-fi concept. And I don't inherently hate this. I think that no, like this could be a fun movie. Sure. But not this movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> not in this structure, <laughs> not in this context. Um, but yeah, I mean, so he basically believes that the moon is hollow, that inside of the moon is, uh, I, I believe he, he says a white dwarf, which would be a very small, uh, you know, version of a star towards the end of its life. Um, again, why that would be here and around our planet I mean, I guess, I guess you could have artificially moved it. I don't even want to get into it. Like, it, no one cares. It doesn't matter. But so, like, basically the moon's a megastructure. It's got a small star inside of it that's powering it. It's been that way forever for some reason. And now something has gone wrong with it, and it is causing the moon to fall. <laughs> and, and, and so he figures this out by determining that the moon is no longer in its appropriate orbit. Its orbit has begun to waver over the last year or so. And this again was a part where my brain went, but wouldn't, wouldn't people notice and yeah. not just like weird crackpot people. Like, I mean, I, I, you know, cause the people at, I mean, and, and again, humble internet, man, I don't know anything. But the people at NASA, to me, seem really smart. And it seems like, like they smart. keep an eye on this stuff. Yeah, it seems like they probably have a lot of computer programs and simulations that are running constantly, getting telemetry data from our many, many satellites in orbit that are constantly scanning the heavens. If there's one thing NASA road. knows, it's outer space. <laughs> yeah, it's they seem to know what outer space is about. They seem to care and, about it. <laughs> But nobody figured out that the moon was out of orbit. We just no. stopped paying attention, I guess, because it was like, it's just the moon. Nobody cares about the Man. space program I mean, anymore, bud. Yeah, definitely. So maybe that's it, too. But so he has all these answers and he shows up at the Griffith Observatory because he has papers and these papers demonstrate what he's discovered. And he's just hoping that Patrick Wilson, disgraced astronaut, will be able to get the papers into the right hands. And and that's really what kicks the movie off. Like that's the inciting event. And and so of course he doesn't believe him. You know they have uh, security guards escort him out. The papers get flown everywhere. And and what what kills me is that okay like okay so all that happens. But then by the time that they actually get the papers to NASA, like Patrick Wilson realizes he's right and whatever. Like NASA already knows. Like they figured it out. So, like so why did we go through all of that yeah just to introduce these characters because they didn't need this guy's expertise they didn't need him to figure out that something was going on so why is he present in the film other than to be a the character that everybody has to explain everything to because even though he's this super genius who figured this out before anybody else he's literally ignorant of every other process involved in this 
and has to have it constantly be explained. Well, this is how spaceships work, bro. <laughs> you know, like, um, so it's just, there's all these inconsistencies and that, that really is my word for this film is inconsistent. Like this, there's no consistency. Characters do what are necessary for them to do in that moment to accomplish the, the intended effects of that scene, whether it has bearing or relationship to what they did before. I mean, it feels like they shot individual scenes and then they just assembled them in a sequence with no consideration for anything that had come before or would come after. Right. And like, it's not weird for big movies to have that problem. Right. Many of them do. It is just incredibly egregious in this film. Like, in one moment, Halle Berry is this strong, capable, I mean, she's supposed to be the head of NASA. Like, she's the person in charge. And she's like, you don't tell me what to do, Senator. I'm the one in charge of NASA. I make the decisions she around here. And then the next one. all over NASA. <laughs> and then in the next one, she's calling her husband being like, what do I do, Steve? You know, and it's like, what? What? Yeah, like, this movie she'd had. be telling him what to do. This it's movie technically like, had two sad dads. It did. Because it had her, second sad. Her dad. husband was also a sad dad. That's right. In the midst of a divorce or, or just completed one or something. <laughs> Who um, cares? Because there must all, they no one cares. <laughs> but there must also be there must also be children, right? Because yeah. Roland Emmerich understands that not just adults are going to see his films, but children too. And they need someone on screen that they also can connect with. And so we must include the children. And so in this one we have Sad Dad's kid. Uh, who we we initially see as as like a ten year old, and then he all growed up by the time we get to present day. And I and, hate and, he, and he's a felon. He's bad. He's, he's he was a, in a high speed a chase, bad little boy. Highway. And I, I hate it. This this is so bad. <laughs> like I, it's it's bewilderingly bad. To the point that I'm like, why I don't a why are these characters in the film? Right? There's nothing they can do about this. That's the other thing, right? I I really like movies that understand their own scale. Like, if the moon is coming at our planet, there is literally nothing we can do to survive that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's no. I mean, if it creates a tidal wave, sure, you might be able to outrun the tidal wave or be in a boat or or whatever. But if the moon is literally crashing into the earth. We're done. It doesn't matter how la- how fast your Lexus is in sport mode. <laughs> You're not going to survive that experience. And it's it's just a sort of like the it's like the disaster part got away from him, right? Which for Roland Emmerich, that seems like maybe that's not great. Right? Like when you're when your expert in how to film disaster doesn't know how to film your disaster, and I can't, you may have crossed a line. I can't imagine what it's like to try and make a high stakes film in an era that is just nothing but stakes, nothing but raising the stakes with every new movie that comes out. It's like, well, wait till you see what happens in this one. Yes, um, this is a film that is cursed by its own escalation. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And and I, I get it. Like I like I said, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to make a film after well, I mean, look at Marvel movies. They're having to go to other dimensions now just to find a just way to, find to raise those stakes yeah. again. And it's it's getting impossible. Um 
So I, I feel for Roland Emmerich in a way. Mm-hmm. I don't think it excuses yeah, some this. Sympathy here. <laughs> no, um, excuse is definitely not the word. I, I feel some sympathy for a once great filmmaker who quite literally pioneered the sort of modern conceptualization of what this genre is. Yeah. Right. Like he defined what these movies are for the modern audience. Um, just like Poseidon and, and maybe something like King Kong would have for the generations before. Like, and, and so I, I, I feel bad that he's kind of reduced to these histrionics. I mean, this it's, it's like the dying gasp, right? The gasp that one would have as the moon passed close <laughs> to the earth and removed the atmosphere. So you can no longer breathe, <laughs> which Okay. Sure. Um but it's it's it does feel this one this one kind of hurts because you know it's well it's honestly it's like watching a Francis Ford Coppola movie from the last 10 years. You're just like, "Damn, dude. Just just go make wine." Just, just go make wine. <laughs> yeah, you've reached the, the part of your career where you don't have <sighs> to do anything anymore. Yeah. So don't. It's like I I just stop. It's okay. Like your legacy is sealed. You made those Godfather movies. You made Apocalypse Now. You produced a bunch of really great shit in the 80s and 90s. Just ride in the sunset, man, cuz what you're doing yeah. now it ain't working. And and that's that's equal parts sad but also I guess kind of necessary. Um but with with Emric you know, he seems just as capable as ever. Like I said, there are still good shots in this film. There's still like decent moments that he's able to construct. It's not I mean, like he's I, forgotten I, how to do his job. Right. He hasn't like lost the ability to be a blockbuster filmmaker. It's just either his tools were so limited with what he wanted or needed to do with this film that he couldn't execute fully. Or I feel more likely this is just a project that I, it just feels like it got away from him. Like yeah. this is just not, or, you know, what they had hoped to be able to do and what they'd planned to be able to do, they weren't able to truly do. Because, you know, as the film progresses, you know, we find out the moon's a megastructure. Okay, well, Yay. sure. All right. Um, now this, now the, the nanobot thing from the beginning went down into the moon and started <laughs> destroying the megastructure burrowing into the moon to get at the sweet star goodness on the inside, like a Cadbury cream egg or something. <laughs> and, and, and so it's taken it 10 years to start fucking with things, but now it is. And, and so now the moon is out of its orbit. So they, they hatch a plan. They're going to go to the moon, <laughs> uh, in a, a ship Unfortunately, all of their space shuttles have been decommissioned, and so they're going to go get one that's in a museum, I think. Because I think, they just it? send yeah. those to the museums fully operational, you know? <sighs> yeah, they still I mean, work. that was another one where I was, where my face went all scrunchy, and I was like, wait, what? They're just going to, I mean, they're just going to put just a fully operational. you know? Yeah. I, I was, <laughs> you just drive it away. Damn. Okay. And so they put it on a thing and they go through downtown. And, and of course, like he's got it. It's like this movie just wants to have too much. It wants to have all of the things that one of these movies should have, 
not realizing that it a doesn't need them and b it's just draining away from stuff that would probably be more interesting because we of course get our post-apocalyptic scenes right once the moon people know that it's out of its orbit and stuff's happening oh we get rioting and looting and it seemed like maybe it's like maybe we could do like a little purge movie in here <laughs> you know but have a bunch of rednecks run around in trucks shooting each other or something and then finally somebody's like i don't think we need to waste time on that roland and he's like well we'll just have a scene where they try to get in their truck and then they get hit by a space <laughs> okay sure yeah that sounds great roland let's we'll execute on that thank you um and and so like we just it's all this little stuff i mean and that's apart from like there's there's like a huge flood when this first starts, right? And of course it all happens at the same time that he's having his little conference in the hotel. So the like downtown LA gets flooded and Patrick Wilson somehow figures out where the kid is. I guess he sees a flyer online or something. And so he goes there, the building gets flooded and then they go to bed. I, <laughs> they just go to the upper levels of the hotel, put on robes and go to sleep. And the effect no. is that I have no sense of like time and space in this movie because or I kept urgency. asking like, yeah. how long has it been since we found out about the moon? How how long has America known? Because Six it hours, it seems to escalate hours, so quickly, yeah. but then it dials back a little bit. Like we've just been living with this, and you know things are better now. And then it gets crazy again because the gravity of the moon is going to go crazy. It, it I can't right. figure out what is happening. Like how, how long was it? How long, how, what was the length of time from the start of the movie to the end of the movie? <laughs> I, I want to say it's like three or four days at most. And in those three or four days, characters travel across country, yeah. go to the moon, <laughs> um, which last time I checked takes a while. Yeah. But of course, the moon is much closer now, so you could get there faster. Yeah, I mean, at some parts um, of the movie, they kind of just fall off of it. You know, they jump at yeah, the Earth, yeah, and they're they, just there. They jump to the moon, yeah, mm. um, which seems improbable. Wow. And so we we get our standard sort of like split of characters, right? So we've got our main characters in this case, Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson and crazy conspiracy guy they eventually become the three who are going to go to the moon to try and stop whatever it is that's happening. Then you've got one group of people, the kids, right? Which is like uh, the house maid for Halle Berry, which not sure that the direct, I mean, director of NASA probably does fine. Not sure they would have a housemaid, but whatever. So housemaid of Halle Berry with her son and then Patrick Wilson's son, who he somehow was able to get out of prison well, for the high speed. Like somebody pulled some strings. You know, when the moon for the is going crazy, prison sentences are reduced because they're probably going to yes. die anyway. You don't need sure. to go to prison. I mean, you know, let the moon kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Save the taxpayers a couple of bucks. Um, but he... So those kids get together and then they're in like a Humvee or something and they have to drive to Colorado, which we're constantly being told that Colorado is safe from the moon. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, Colorado is really getting a lot of credit here for being safe. I know there's like a bunker or something and like they'll be safe or whatever, but I'm like, 
I don't really believe that. I don't think if the moon were crashing into the earth, I don't think there's any bunker that would help. I, I don't. I don't think Colorado would be just immediately an ideal space to be, even if the mountains are big and you could be in one. If the moon crashes into the earth, I, I really don't think it's. Well, I mean, matter, you know, but... considering the elevation, wouldn't you be closer to the moon when it comes I, to the you know, earth? Yeah, but I mean, Colorado was offering some significant tax credits, <laughs> for, and and we have to take advantage. Um, yeah, it's just it. There's a lot of like just nonsensical behavior and and things like one issue with any sort of poorly plotted film is how do you get all of your characters to the key moments in time that they need to be for the story to continue, right? Like how do you arrange your story to have these disparate elements all sort of come together? It's one of the central issues with writing creatively of any kind, right? You've got characters in different locations with different goals. How do you bring them all together for your big, you know, climactic events? You know, you've got movies like The Crimes of Grindelwald, wherein they all just kind of show up and there's no explanation for why they're all there. It's just the seems like a the natural place for them to be. I don't be. even know. Uh, Grindelwald and Dimbledore constantly just causing problems. <sighs> Grindelman. Dimbledore. There's just words that I don't even understand. I feel like I'm looking at a Dr. Seuss book or I, something. What is I, this? I would suggest even I think I think the crimes of Grindelwald might actually be the most enjoyable film you've ever watched, especially because you would have zero contextualization <laughs> for Harry Potter. Just watch that movie and try and figure out what the fuck is going on. I haven't on. even seen all the like, Harry Potter movies and I don't no, remember most I think of them. I honestly think it would make it better. I think you would like it more without any of that context. Just watching it and being like, what is that thing? Why are they going there? Oh, they're why wizards. Johnny Depp? Okay. Why did why did Johnny Depp kill that baby? <laughs> I think it would be the most the most incredible cinematic experience for you to watch that shit film and just be like, what is going on? Because <laughs> um, it, uh, I mean, even as someone who has seen all those, I mean, I've read through, I've read through the entire series once completely with my daughter. I'm halfway through the series again with my son. That's like our bedtime books that we read. So I know Harry Potter. I know a lot about Harry Potter. I've seen all the movies. And Crimes of Grindelwald was still a bewildering experience. I cannot imagine someone that didn't have any of that. Just like the 65-year-old grandma that walked in off the street on a Thursday. That's me. Whatever. All I know about Harry Potter is, you're a wizard, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. Let me fly us away. Uh, I I think that would be even better. Like I'm sure people did that and then just walked out and be like, hmm. I don't think that was the right movie. Maybe I went in the wrong theater. Uh, but I mean, like, it's the same thing. Like, it's 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 a classic film problem, especially when you have a movie with, like, massive scale and characters spread out all over the world or whatever. But this one just, it says, go to Colorado. <laughs> like, everybody's trying to get to Colorado. Because um, the other group that we haven't even mentioned yet is that, uh, what's his face, disgraced astronaut guy, his wife leaves him, and she marries a... Lexus car dealer which as you do who apparently is a and he's a very good Lexus car dealer because they live well choice mm, they got the nicest of the nice but they live in Los Angeles and he says 
calls him is like gets a Colorado again. I don't remember why. I'm sure it's somebody important. on the news somewhere says like Colorado will likely be the safest place. Maybe because of the two, the tsunamis, and like so get get away from the coasts or something. But I'm still like, let's still the moon's still gonna hit the earth, whatever. Yeah. Um. But so like he's like get the kids out. You know, go to Aspen. Guys, I guess there's a place there. Maybe that's why. Do some skiing before the moon <laughs> do gets some there. Ski. Do some skiing before the moon just kills us all. Make sure you really get in a couple of uh, sweet snowboarding runs. And and so that's Michael Pena, who I, I love. I mean, I love Michael Pena. I think he's literally one of the best actors working today, both comedic and otherwise. But he will and just show up for anything. Oh, oh, yes. And that is that is Michael Pena in this film. He the only scenes he's in, he is yelling at people on a phone or driving a car. Yeah, that's it. Or dying. Those are his two functions. Or dying. Yes, he is the only. Okay, in a film where the moon is crashing into the planet, he is the only major character that dies. And his death was very unceremonious. Like it just it it happens, and then they don't acknowledge mm -hmm. it for a really awkwardly long time. Yes, like not even his wife who loves him like even notices that he's missing until way like after everything dies down. We're having the, the post moonfall hugs, like everything's going to be okay. And then they're like, Oh yeah. What about our dad? <laughs> I can't even remember his name. <laughs> <I can't either. laughs> who was the dad who wasn't uh, that? Yeah. He was like the, the accomplished dad. He was the dad with his shit together. He's Pierce Brosnan and Mrs. Doubtfire. And, um, I don't know. It was just such a strange sequence of events because they all so they all wind up in Colorado. Um, There's a scene where the moon is coming down (laughs) and they need to jump across a bridge and the bridge is really far. And they're like, but the moon will help us because the gravity is lower. And and they make this crazy moon did help them. The moon did help them. The moon really, truly helped because that's what the moon like. We're talking shit right now, but the moon helped. Like they they were right. It, did. it really did. Yeah, they were correct when he said that ridiculous <laughs> phrase out loud in a film. It wasn't a lie. He was right. And then there's like a chase with rednecks who are trying to steal air tanks. It's just it's so bewilderingly stupid for the last like 45 minutes. It's just the conflicts don't matter. Like that's the thing. Like when you have the moon crashing into the <laughs> planet, all of these other little conflicts that you're trying to set up as important don't matter at all and so it's like just who cares go back to the moon yeah that's the thing that matters um because that's that's really where everything goes so that's uh, sort of our last thing that we'll talk about because again we could you could go scene by scene and every scene would have something so <laughs> every dumb scene is in so it. bad <laughs> it's so dumb um you know like there's this there's a scene when they're when they launch the okay so they have this whole thing that they set up where they get they they get the the space shuttle right fueling it up and they're getting it ready and then they go like oh one of the engines doesn't work to which it's like well duh it's been sitting empty in a museum for years never mind the fact that work. i don't think they leave the engines in those when they put them in the I museum i really would be surprised if they did because those are expensive engines and yeah. they could probably use them for other things um but anyway so they 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 get it fueled up and they're like oh the engine doesn't work and they're like well that's it everybody See ya. Go on home. Wait to wait to die because the moon's coming. Like they just send everybody home, and then 
they realize that the moon will also help them <laughs> because the gravity is less and the moon is closer. So they don't need the other engine to take off. Maybe. So Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson, crazy conspiracy theorist guy who to deepen his character, to help us truly understand who he is, what he cares about, the things that drive him. We discover that he has IBS and he's very afraid of being inside of an astronaut suit because he's afraid he's going to shit himself and then it will smell bad yeah. inside of his suit. Um, very deep concern, something really complicated that we can be like, oh, wow, I get you, man. The only... uh, he also has like a, a mother who's like, getting yeah, but you know, the IBS <laughs> was what he thought about in the moment, not his mom. Yeah. At the moment, it's just about that IBS. Um, I hate that <laughs> when movies do that. Uh, the only time I know it was so stupid. The dude. only time that like an irritable bowel syndrome joke has been funny was J.K. Simmons in the Coen Brothers, The Lady Killers. That was funny. And that's it. That's the only time that's ever been funny. That's, it. that's the only time that joke and ever worked. And it took the Coen Brothers to pull it off. It's because it's the Coen Brothers and it's J.K. Simmons. And right. if you're neither one of those people, just don't don't try to make that joke. Because it's not going to yeah, work. You, you can't do it. You don't know what you're doing. But so then two people sitting at computers launch an entire space shuttle. Yeah. Because it's easy. Into the atmosphere. You could do it with and that. That was no. like, I mean, in that one, I just, yeah, I was <laughs> like, was, did they just hit the big launch button on their iPhone? Like, what, how did this happen? Because um, the last, I mean, like, I've seen a lot of space movies, right? The Martian. Apollo 13. And to launch a space shuttle, it seems like it takes a lot of people. It takes like, like hundreds. A, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I, I definitely don't think like two, one of them's wearing a beret or like a scarf or something. Like I, I just don't think that would work. And then, so they, they launch and, and it, it goes well. And the two guys who stay behind to help them launch, you know, cause it was just two, they get into a helicopter that was still waiting for them somehow. And, and the tsunami's coming. And instead of flying up, you know, mm -hmm. away from the tsunami, they fly to the side. Yeah. And then they die, right? So they do this incredible thing. A two-man launch of a space shuttle mission. Oh, my God. And then they get killed because they forgot to fly up instead of sideways. Um, anyway, okay. So they go to the moon. They go to the moon. And the moon has now been taken over by the nanobots or whatever. And they fly down this big shaft that it's been digging on the moon for a decade that literally no one on Earth detected. No. Even though it's a massive hole in the Earth. It was probably on the dark side or something, and we can't see over there. That's craziness. Um, and they go down in it, and, and indeed the moon is a megastructure, so conspiracy theory guys just like, yeah, yeah, I knew it all. Yeah, I was right. And then they make another IBS joke. And then they start fighting the nano machine, which, uh, okay. I was not expecting to get backstory on the nano machines. I assumed they would just remain this like weird cosmic force, but no, Roland Emmerich needed to explain them. So they eventually make it inside this thing. And there's like a whole thing on the inside, like a place where people could live and stuff, I guess. And we find out that 
the moon, our moon, was set up by an ancient race of people who were just humans. Okay. But who invented artificial intelligence. Okay. Right? Oh, yeah. And that artificial intelligence, which they used to keep in little glass domes inside their houses, is like a little swirly thing for reasons. Eventually, Alexa. one day got super, got super pissed off and it broke out of its little glass well, thing it and it started killing girls. Because if you see yes. the Terminator movies, that's dangerous. When, when an app knows what it is, it'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, when your cell phone figures out how much you've been abusing it, just how much pornography you've watched on it. It's it gonna hates get you. Real it pissed. hates you. Um, and I, I don't. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. It's trite. It's super common. Like just one of the most basic stories ever in science fiction for the last like hundred years. But so this thing starts it kills the whole it kills all of them kills everybody uh because it goes after technology and organic life when they're together so if so it's 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 not smart traditionally i guess but it if it detects that biological entities are close to functioning technology then it will attack oh yeah because it, it's what it's when People learn how to use computers. That's when it hates you. It wants right. to stop us from people, using technology by killing us. Right. But if you're if you're just people or if you're just technology that appeared on its own, then it's fine. Yeah. But when they're together, that's when it's it becomes enraged, bad. which is why it yeah, it's this, why it attacks them on the space shuttle. This requires right? you just know? too much explanation for what this movie has time to give us. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like this movie spends a lot of time explaining all no. this shit. This is like a one and a half minute scene that is all just sort of tossed at them. I think it's even framed to like it gets beamed into their brains or something like the, the moon somehow communicates with them and says, here's what's going on, you guys. I don't know if you were familiar with all this. Stuff. You know what it reminded um, me of? It reminded me of like a really worse, like an asylum version of Mission to Mars. You know. Yeah, that's that's that is the description for Moonfall. If Asylum made Mission to Mars with more money than they've ever seen in their lives, <laughs> then this is what you get. Uh, and so, like, there's this whole thing that the moon is is also sentient <sighs> and aware, which seems counterproductive given that it's a self-aware and sentient artificial intelligence that's trying to kill them. Seems strange that the moon would also be sentient and self-aware, but it it helps them uh, again. <laughs> but this time more directly, I guess, and and they're able to use like they use like an EMP or something, right? It's like they they kill the nano machines with an electromagnetic pulse of some kind or whatever, and it's so like oh that's fine, you know whatever. But then whatever that's it the ends. word. <laughs> <laughs> But then it ends and and it's the standard like the automatic timing module for the space shuttle won't work. We have to somebody has to push the button manually. It's just whatever. Yeah. Like it's just every trope you've that you've ever this. seen in science fiction comes back to haunt the movie. 
you have seen this so many times in so many contexts that it's it's just it's bewildering that they fell upon it again right and and so this time it's the conspiracy theory dude he decides to stay behind he randy quades it he i mean he's got ibs so yeah is he really ever gonna have a life not really you know i mean when you think about it it's pretty much over at that point <laughs> because that's how roland feels about ibs i guess well, and that's how he um, feels about crackpots you know they don't have that is true. They don't have anything going for them. If they're not sad dads, no, once, they don't have kids to live for. So they should sacrifice themselves. Once the conspiracy is exposed, their life's work is complete. Yeah. So they're it's okay that they die now. Um. And so all this is intercut. What you like I said, we see uh Michael Pena's character. He dies by giving <laughs> up his air tank to his daughter or one of his kids because the moon is sucking the atmosphere away for reasons and so he just dies in the snow oh my god um and i i i mean it's it's just one of those things where the movie like i i'm struggling to even remember the events because none of them are important and none of them have any weight to them at all and it, it's mostly just because it's all tropes like they just there is nothing original here to hold on to outside of the basic premise of a megastructure in the moon that they have to navigate. And it, it's, and anyway, I'm not going to say that Roland Emmerich has ever been an especially original filmmaker, but at one time he was at least able to craft moments that I feel were unique and sort of interesting. And, and they're just not here. Um, he was like an it, exciting filmmaker, not original, but exciting because I was sure, excited about yeah, seeing I mean, his movies and, you know, it would be a spectacle. It would be, would be something yeah and, and this is is definitely not something yeah it's it's the opposite of something <laughs> i mean it's it's so paper thin on every level to to just be entirely insubstantial as and in like did i even watch this is this a film i even experienced was it a dream right um it's it also i think you know i, I guess as we kind of wrap up <laughs> It, it It's also, I think, one of the most blatant bits of Hollywood style filmmaking outside of that system in that it was set up to have it's like it's set up to have all the pieces necessary to consider it a major blockbuster film without actually then making a blockbuster film, you know, like, oh, we're going to need to appeal to the Chinese market. So we're going to get a Chinese pop star to have this tiny role in the film that's completely inconsequential and could theoretically be removed if we change our minds or the financing falls through. You know, we're also going to need to have, you know, these two, you know, stars and we're going to need to have, you know, this and we're going to need to have this product placement deal with Lexus and we're going to need to have like it's just it's every single piece that has now become a de facto standard component of blockbuster filmmaking in modern society to the, to the point of absolute ridiculousness and done in and just the worst way, just kind yes. of offensively bad. And, and it's, it, it is sad. Like, unfortunately that's kind of the place where I'm left as I revisit it and kind of go through it. It's like, man, at one time, Roland Emmerich, even though he was never top of the pile, like he, he was never top of the pile in terms of, of Hollywood directors, he at least 
did some cool stuff and and sort of you know cemented a place for himself inside of Hollywood like this and I think unfortunately what has happened now is that place that he cemented for himself through years and years of making basically the same film over and over again is that now he is totally and completely trapped and he's tried to do some other smaller stuff and it didn't go over well um and and so he came back to form right like he did that independence day sequel that was just abysmal he made midway which apparently i mean again it did okay but not big numbers by any stretch you know so back to the classic war movie and then he makes this big bombastic disaster movie sci-fi weird ass thing and it too is just it's just not great um i mean the film ends well enough they kill the nano machine thing they make it back to earth the moon somehow goes back to where it was before and everything's fine even though the world has apparently been just absolutely how would we ever recover from this how would the world ever be the same again I have no idea. I mean, it has like, this I cannot really imagine. positive ending, but how? <laughs> right. I mean, like cities decimated, billions dead. Like, I mean, I cannot imagine. And we really only saw Europe and North America. I, I can't imagine that any of the other continents fared that well. I, uh, I mean, like just it, it's it's bewildering because this is it's almost like it's a disaster movie that was too big. This disaster is too big. Yeah. <laughs> like. We, it's too, the scale is too large. We could never possibly ever recover from this in any circumstance, under any circumstances. Yeah, like you can destroy New York City. You can blow up the White House with aliens. And we'll, we'll bounce yeah. back from that. I mean, it'll be terrible, but this is like the earth. Like the whole earth was right. fucked up by this. <laughs> we ripped mountains out. <laughs> the moon will fix it. The Rocky Mountains aren't there anymore. And and that was one thing that, that was suggested is that Game of Thrones guy is going to fix fix it with the moon. Right? Um. Yes, I guess we can mention there is like a stinger on this of some kind. Uh, apparently Emmerich felt that there was sequel potential oh, to God. Moonfall. There was room in the world for Moonfall oh, too. Oh, God. And so we find out that our conspiracy theory guy who died in the explosion blowing up the thing or whatever, that the moon yeah, uh, made you. a copy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. I get it. I'm, I'm with you. Um, the moon made a copy of his personality, made a copy of his, his self. And the last line of the film is, let's get started. Delivered by his mother. Yeah. Who the moon has decided to demonstrate is connect with him uh. by appearing as his mom. And it's like, I guess it's time to get started. And I think there is a, like a reaction where the heaven goes like, with what? And I'm like, that's my reaction. <laughs> like with what? And then the movie what, just what are we ends. Doing? It, it ends right. as cryptically as it began. <laughs> and I mean, and maybe that's the, maybe that's the idea is that now all of this like advanced technology because we're shown that inside the moon is a lot of advanced technology yeah. like ships and all kinds of like crazy Spaceships. stuff. So maybe now the idea is that they're going to all this technology in the moon, they're going to have to build up 
because I guess it's insinuated that this nano machine artificial intelligence, there's more of it out there, right? Like it's, it's, you know, wherever the moon came from, (laughs) um, there's more of it and, and we need to get ready or something. So it seems like he's almost wanting to like sideline back into an independence day style alien fight or something. And, and I, I, again, it's like, nope, yeah. not interested. Nothing about that sounds the world exciting said or interesting no. at all. Yes. Uh, America and the rest of the earth saw this film roll in Denmark and said, uh, no, thank you, sir. Yeah, we're, we're done here. No, I, I mean, I will say the Rotten Tomatoes like audience score is. I mean, it's not high. It's like 70. But it is way higher than the critical score, which means that there are there is a contingent of people out there that are like, oh, Moonfall was OK. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I feel like I've seen some of those success, but some of those reviews and it's mostly people who are saying what I have said about his previous movies, which is, well, that's fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the YouTube channels. So much. Our standards are so low. Yeah. So, so low right now. Um, I did a, a YouTube channel that does like 4K Blu-ray reviews and stuff that I like. Um, apparently, the, the thing I said about the Dolby Atmos track before is true. Like it's it's sort of, you know, if you like are a big home theater person, you're constantly looking for reference material, right? Like stuff that you can use to test things, stuff that you can use to like show off capabilities if you add a new speaker or something. Yeah. You know, it's like you're you're constantly looking for that kind of stuff. And and the way that this person came at it, they were like, this is a like the soundtrack on this is a reference quality soundtrack. Like it is amazingly well done Dolby Atmos. And so he's like, you know, I'm so I bought it for that. And and his basic consensus about the film was like, yeah, this, this is all right. It was fun. You know, it's a fun movie and that's OK. And And that's that's kind of where I'm at, too. Like it's if you know what this is going in and your expectations are adequately couched and are adequately sort of held in check to be like, this is all I'm getting out of this. I'm not going to get anything else. Then you could have some fun with this, right? Again, if you're a person that enjoys bad movies for their badness. Yeah, this is a bad movie. This is a bad movie. Um, You know, it's, but again, it's rare. And we've talked about this with a lot of the films that we've looked at in this, this podcast. It's rare to see a movie this bad with this much money behind yeah. it. Yeah. Right. This is like another gods of Egypt type scenario oh. where it's like, I can't believe that this movie was allowed to be made and this much money to be expended to achieve this result. Yeah. Right? Like that is shocking. Like shocking that that is the thing. And you know, I, I, I'm, I'm my, my world has not been, upended by its existence i am not angry that it exists no i'm mostly just I sad think it's yeah if anything it just represents the dying gasp of this genre of film for this time like i just don't think people have an appetite for these movies anymore um and that was a huge misread by emmerich and the rest of this team to think that audiences still wanted this but also it's it's the dying gasp of a, a director that at one time, if I never respected as being great, I at least enjoyed the types of films that he put out, right? Or or saw some value in them. But now I don't even know. 
Like, I don't think the next Roland Emmerich movie that comes out, I'm even going to bother paying attention to. If this Unless one, it's like Stargate 2. If this one had not been called so bad, I wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, why would you? Like, there's nothing about this to draw somebody in from the outside. Like, I had to know what it was. Oh, it's another Roland Emmerich disaster movie. Otherwise, I if I had just, like, seen this sitting on a shelf, I, I never even would have looked twice at it. Well, it also looks like a fake movie, so that doesn't help. Yeah, I cannot I cannot state clearly enough how bad this movie looks. Like this movie does not look good. Um it's it's rough. Uh and there are sequences, especially there's a lot of like driving at the end when they're showing off the Lexus and its sport mode. Which Funnily enough, the Lexus in its sport mode still can't seem to outrun like a 1970s Ford F-150, <laughs> which I think may not be the message that Lexus intended to send with that scene. Um, well, they know better now. That's why there's not yeah, going to be a now, moonfall too, huh? <laughs> whoops. Whoopsie. Um, but like some of that stuff is like some of the worst special effects that I've seen in a big budget film in a long time. Like, they are executed poorly. They are not tracked properly in a lot of cases. The the camera matches and moves are off. I mean, like as somebody who loves movies and, and sort of appreciates visual effects and how that stuff gets made and, and, you know, sort of the tools and technology that contribute to that and have been a fan of that, you know, since I was a kid, it's, it's borderline offensive how bad it is and that somebody locked that shot and said, that's done. <laughs> We can all go um, home. <laughs> yeah, like really? Like you looked at that shot in the in the editing bay and we're like, yeah, that'll do. Are you sure? Like, do you want to try again? You probably should. Um, and again, especially for somebody like Roland Emmerich, who, you know, while not a pioneer like Steven Spielberg or something, had, you know, movies that pushed special effects forward a little bit. Some of those shots in Independence Day, even Godzilla with the fully CG Godzilla character. Well, I remember that stuff was the, big the White the House explosion. Part of the the controversy of that was how real it looked, mm -hmm. and nothing in Moonfall looks real. Nothing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I mean they blow up a lot of stuff in this, and none of it really looks good. Um, the the tsunami washing through downtown Los Angeles is laughably bad. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of advertising for Kaspersky antivirus. <laughs> That's <in> weird. <laughs> um, even to the point that like some sort of ancient seventies terminal computer with like a green screen has like a protected by Kaspersky logo on it or something. I'm like, that didn't, they just want know. you to know a, no matter how old your device is, they got your back. Yeah. I just like, man, this is bad. Oh, and we didn't even talk about Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland's in this movie. Um, I actually said out loud when we were watching this, oh my God, why? What is he doing here? Uh, I, yeah, I, he's, yeah, it's not even worth saying. He's like the guy that knew about it the whole time and ran the project. And, and, and he's there for 30 seconds. I mean, it's, it's less than two minutes he's on screen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it just doesn't even make sense. Uh, he just rolls up in a, in a wheelchair like, and he says, I, I knew the whole time. And then he says, I've got a lot of work to do. 
as the moon is crashing the moon into fall. the earth, he's like, I've, he's I've got, got work lots to do. To I'm busy right now. And isn't he contemplating killing himself? Isn't he going to shoot himself I'm, or something? Maybe. Like, was that the word? Which reminded, which reminded me of, uh, do you remember Virus? Oh, yeah. The Jamie oh, Lee Curtis yeah. one? Love that Anthony, movie. Anthony LaPaglia or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's how we see him in that movie. Yeah. Is he's like trying to kill himself with a gun and it's like, <laughs> something oh about God, Donald Sutherland just inspires yeah. that I mean, kind of this, filmmaking. Like, is it Roland Emmerich sitting at his, his MacBook and being like, man, I just really need, I need somebody who's willing to put a gun in their mouth. Who looks suicidal? Like they're killing themselves. <laughs> Donald Sutherland. Oh, of course. Yes. Um, it's, it was just so strange. And that's what this movie feels like. Like the, there's no, con- I mean, there's no, connections between the scenes everything's just laid out everything goes in the order you would expect kind of but it's just like you said like how much time is this taking what are the stakes they keep talking about the moon making passes at the earth and i'm like are those orbits <laughs> is it is it the is, is that the orbit that it's you're talking about trying to get it, the earth to go on a date with it just keeps making passes <laughs> and the earth turns it down every time because the last time I checked, the full orbit of the moon is what we call a day, <laughs> right? So, well, so is it like, is that what you mean? No, <laughs> but we're not no, going to explain no. it. Look, it's complicated. It's got to do with like science and shit. And we didn't hire yeah. any scientists, so we'd have to like do some math. Yeah. We'd have to track things. We'd have to like create a timeline of the events of our movie. And we talked to a NASA a consultant, and he hung up on us. So. <laughs> Yeah, imagine that conversation. <laughs> you call up some engineer at NASA and be like, "So we're making a movie." Oh, cool. Yeah, we. I mean, we love movies. NASA, we love being involved in uh, films about space and helping people understand, you know, space travel and all of the mechanics of space travel. Well, we want to make a film about a moonfall. What would happen if the moon fell? <laughs> it's like, excuse me. Well, yeah, you know, if you know, you know, if the moon fell, like a moon, a moon fall, oh. like the moon was in the sky, but then fell out of the sky, and and then the person at the other end, and NASA's like, well, that wouldn't, that can't really happen because it certainly wouldn't happen the, like that. <laughs> the sky is just, you know, the atmosphere leading up to space, and then the moon is the thing that's just held in our orbital gravity, so it, it would never really fall. It would more just like be pulled into the planet, and then everything and everyone would uh die yeah moonfall um uh yeah i mean yeah like no 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 that's it that's definitely what we're doing except instead of it killing everyone it's just going to kind of sometimes hover there and then other times be like really close and then go further away and then when it comes close it'll suck out all the atmosphere and i don't know rip the rockies out of the out of the ground and then but then it'll go back and everything will be fine again and there'll be explosions and maybe like a train um some boats you know that kind of thing and then just, I imagine it went click. Or like they returned the script with a note, like how much alcohol will you have available for our consultant right. on set? Because they're going to need to be drunk right. for this. Yeah. None of this is going to work. You need to have um, a lot of booze, make it through a day of shooting. They, and then they called back and said, how many people does it take to launch a shuttle? Oh, about 150. Two. You could do it with three, right? How about two? Two or two. What about two? Is there an app for that? Um, yeah, there is an app. For that. So, um, so yeah, Moonfall is 
is Moonfall. Uh, it's a singular project in the grand and less than storied career of Roland Emmerich. And if it's the last one of these films that he ends up making, then that's sad. Um, but it it's probably evidence it that may also big be budget for the disaster best. <laughs> films are kind of done. Yeah, I think I think they can be done now. We'll let the MCU destroy planets because they've got the money and the the wherewithal to do so. I guess. But uh, so yeah, uh, any other any other thoughts on Moonfall? I don't think I could think any more about this movie if I tried. <laughs> no, and after we've we've completed this discussion, the moment that I hit stop record, I will likely forget never ever ever think of it again <laughs> we will drink to forget oh <laughs> uh, yeah i mean this movie's i mean to call it bananas is being kind to the concept of something going bananas yes, it's being uh, kind to a banana is, yeah that's treating bananas with more respect than moonfall <laughs> deserves um it's um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, if you know what you're getting into, uh, that's, that's the way that I have to couch this. If you, if you like these kind of disaster movies, I mean, you're a person on Tubi at 2am being like, show me disaster movies Tubi. like, just give me what you got. I'll take it. Um, then sure. There, there's plenty to see here. Like there's more than enough to satisfy whatever like weird disaster porn fetish you're looking for. But is it a good movie? Absolutely not. Is it? Is it something that um, you'll remember? No. Three seconds after you turn it off? No. no. Um, if, you're, if your standards are low and you just kind of want to be bobbed along on the, the slow and babbling current of the stream that is Moonfall, then sure. Like, there's enough here. Do you've you got plenty yourself? of space to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got space to get up and go to the bathroom. You can fix a drink. Uh, you can pop an entire bag of popcorn and come back. And you are sure in the fact nothing. that you haven't missed anything, like everything is fine. You you've missed no critical information, no valuable piece of visual information has been passed that you haven't absorbed. Like it's 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 just the the film equivalent of a wet paper towel. <laughs> like it's just there. And it's a little gross when you touch it, but at the same time, it could be useful in some ways, I guess. Um it's it's just so strange. Um and I'm not going to say that it had all the elements poised to make it great. Like I really don't think it ever did, but there were certainly some things going for it that it squanders and, and it doesn't even pull those off. Um, I will say that uh, the kid that plays sad dad's son, um, uh, Charlie Plummer, I think was the actor's name. Charlie. Plummer. Yeah. He'd, he'd been in some other stuff and he was okay. He was apparently one of the guys in the running for uh, Spider-Man uh, when Tom Holland got it which I find very difficult to believe. Um, I, I remember watching it and, and you know, you Patrick Wilson is his father, right? So Patrick Wilson is a, is a God amongst human men, you know, human males. Like he's just, he's, he's a highly attractive human being is what I'm saying. Yeah. Very attractive. Yeah. Um, and then the mom is also like, she was good. She had like a weird haircut, but you know, like, okay. And then you see him, and you go like, did anyone even like check like facial structure? Like, cause, cause that kid looks absolutely, I mean, and I know that happens, but like even when they were casting Jake Lloyd as young 
Luke Skywalker, they had a fucking picture of Mark Hamill there being like, well, he should probably be kind of close. Yeah, <laughs> like, it should look. These are these are genetically rated, related things, you know, they should kind of look somewhat similar. But like there is no visual reference to between these two people at all. It's bad. And it's rough. Um, and I feel bad for him because he seemed like he had like a career on the upswing and then he made this and now it's kind of like, well, whoops. Uh, but in any case, yeah, Charlie, he's also very bad in this. Uh, he's not good no. as a, as an actor or a character. Um, I, I don't think that has anything to do with his skill. I think it's just, he's an actor in a bad movie and somebody like Patrick Wilson has made enough bad movies or semi bad movies that he sort of knows how to protect himself from those elements. Cause he's like, I will never be seen in this film outside of a cool outfit. <laughs> I'm going to wear a badass leather jacket or a sweet flight suit or an astronaut suit at all times because those look cool and they will make me look cool. And then Charlie Plummer's like, I don't know. I could wear a beanie, I guess. <laughs> and it's just, it doesn't, it just doesn't help. Um, and, and aside from the fact that there's like romantic stuff that tries to occur between characters that goes nowhere. Cause there's no time. Part. There's no time for anything. Yeah. Movies yeah, got there's no scale. You know, movies no got shit to blow up, things to flood, <laughs> lives to destroy. And I, and I mean, and that's been a consistent problem in all of Roland Emmerich's stuff. I mean, it really has been. And I completely understand that balance is never going to be easy to strike. But this may movie just gets it so wrong. All right. So we don't need to belabor the point. This is a bad movie. If you like bad movies, you'll probably like this movie. But otherwise, stay away. Um, you will find nothing here to justify the two hours and there ten minutes. There is nothing of your time. for you. There's nothing for you here. You chose poorly. poorly. <laughs> <laughs> um, from a much better film. Anyway, uh, so we will uh, uh, wrap it up. Uh, so if anybody wants to find you on the internet and discuss with you the specific oeuvre of Roland Emmerich and the grandeur of his past projects where can they find you? um well you can find me on my superstructure uh moon fan account which is baskinator yeah. on twitter um i talk about the moon all the time i'm very scared of a moon fall now and it's consuming my entire life so come talk to me about it i want to talk um I've I've unfortunately deleted all my social media and now I can only be found on the message board megastructure dash yeah. believers yeah. dash for reals Z <laughs> dot biz. Biz was the only one they had um, left. <laughs> biz is all they had left, man. I mean, they kept adding dashes and it just didn't help. Um, no, you can find me at uh, T Baskin on Twitter. Uh, you can get us together at F Peace Theater on Twitter, or you can email us at failurepiece at gmail.com with any inquiries. Um, so, uh, we've had a, a grand old time talking about Moonfall, and we shall return in the very near future with more discussions of film and television and all of the terrible, terrible things that Hollywood thrusts upon us. Hooray! Time. And we'll have fun doing it. Uh, so thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.